it's a packed show with lots of discussion. That's, that's, that's exactly what you meant. Yeah, well, you know, we're all praised. So yeah. I'm holding in my hand, I just, this is a little treat for the listeners, and they didn't know this was going to happen, but we're going to get a few dramatic readings throughout the course of the show, just just brief ones. I was, I was going to do an accent, but I probably shouldn't do that. I'm going to do it in the style of a, a, a Ian McKellen. The lights went out. Suddenly, the old Trafford dressing room was plunged into darkness. A television flickered into life. There was my career being played out in front of me. So a bit more of that later in the show. Yeah, I, 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 look, I'm not going to say that's a bit camp, but... Very good. I, be, I believe that is a quote from Red, Gary Neville's autobiography. I'm very excited. I have it in my hands. Very, that's very I'm, good. That's very what I'm good. doing this week. Chelsea, we beat them. 3-1. Easy, easy. Oh, you are still in disguise. Bizarre game, wasn't it? It was, it was one of those games where like, I came out thinking, fantastic, beating Chelsea, major title rival, great, great, you know, really great game. But hang on a minute, United weren't that great, at least at the back. Or, or maybe another way of putting it is that Chelsea were pretty good. And if you were a Chelsea supporter, you might feel a bit unlucky you didn't get something yeah, out Yeah, I mean, by the, by, I don't know, three quarters of the way through the game, I was thinking if this was three all, if this was a draw, or if this was one three, that'd be pretty reasonable, actually. Either one of those would be reasonable. I think by the end of the game, we were clearly the better side yeah. overall on balance. But, you know, Fernando Torres did done a hilarious miss, didn't he? And, yeah, and yeah. It, I, I think Chelsea had a, a, a rush of chances, and, you know, the, the here made a, a couple of you know, fine saves and and it was very very open game and and it, it's it's one of those things we've actually talked about on the pod already this season about just how open United are through the centre and midfield and, and obviously Fletcher came back but he's not really a natural defensive player and he he does very well in terms of his energy and getting around but he doesn't quite get into the, the same positions and and this is it, it's something missing in the United squad as well as the creative player and all of that and you know, we don't need to keep rehashing that but there are some certain imbalances in the United squad and they're being shown up and, and Chelsea could have scored a lot more of it if it, if it wasn't for them being a, a bit wasteful and, and, and one man in particular being extremely wasteful. I mean, De Gea did have a very good game um, and Chelsea did look really dangerous, especially after they took Lampard off. Um, they they looked you know they cut through us a few times and actually uh, Torres took his goal incredibly well um, but he was left in a lot of space by the the uncriticisable Phil Jones who actually once again had a really really good game particularly when we were in possession but pretty good defensively as well but just that one big slip for the goal and and a, a few times I, I really think defensively we missed Carrick in the first half because Carrick fills those spaces so well and he, he might give the ball away and be frustrating in possession and stuff but but he's incredibly important part of our defensive unit yes now you now you see i think carrick that we've always got the best out of carrick when he's played in a three and and he's the deepest of the three and you allow you know maybe you have a box-to-box midfielder and a creative midfielder and that would be a nice balance and and right at the moment we're not playing that way and and it, it, you, you kind of I mean Ferguson's left with the decision of does he play Carrick as you know supposedly the more creative player uh, and uh, with somebody else like Fletcher 
or, or does he play Carrick as the deeper player with Anderson and then perhaps you're missing the, the creative edge? I mean, because we can get on to Anderson again, but he gave away the ball uh, in the first half more than 50% of the time and improved over the, the course of the game. But, uh, you know, I don't want to keep banging on about it, but he's wasteful in possession. So if he's the, the creative player, if he's the heartbeat, if he's the player who makes things happen for United, then that's the problem. I, I, I have this discussion with people both on the, the United Rant Forum and on Twitter for a lot and they say oh no but we get our goals from from wide well where exactly does the ball come from for for nanny and ashley cole and the like to get the ball it does come from central no 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 and we found the answer out to that question it comes from glorious 65 yard crossfield pinpoint passes from johnny evans that's where nanny gets the ball from Well, yeah, this is true. This is true. After so much criticism of uh, Evans' performance, rightly so, last week uh, when he didn't have a good game, what happened to Evans in his passing? He was uh, the Hollywood ball certainly came out, didn't it? It did. What a staggeringly good goal it was from Nani as well. Pure class all over. And he uh, was running back from an offside position. Actually, I think uh, most linesmen would interpret that as phase two, uh, not uh, offside. Mm. So uh, lines, linesmen or assistant referees, uh, write in, uh, cast at unitedrant.co.uk or at utdrantcast on Twitter and let us know what you think about that. My interpretation of that is it's phase two and uh, he wasn't offside. And and for the first for the first goal, Smalling is goal um the the law says if you can score any part any part that's legal so not your hands uh, if it is level with any part of the defender you're onside so if your if your back foot is onside you're onside yeah and this is this is a major misinterpretation by pundits the world over now this right. law was changed about four years ago and it's to give the uh, forwards a, a significant advantage and and I, I've looked at that free frame over and over again I don't think well um, that's, that's, that's good to hear it was a beautiful ball pinged in from Ashley Young and it's really it's really interesting because we were under the cosh in that game at that point and, and it was really against the run of play that goal and having a set piece and having someone to deliver it dangerously and effectively made just made so much difference I know I keep going on about Ashley Young set pieces but I think I will for the rest of the season if he keeps yeah. hitting them well because because having someone who can deliver set pieces is absolutely massive. It's massive. I mean, Alice Ferguson said that Adams' corners were worth £10 million alone. Well, Ashley Young's set-piece delivery is worth his £16 million fee, I reckon. Yeah. I mean, aside from the fact that he started really well at United, and he looks like, arguably, not only improved his game to the level of the United squad, but gone beyond that as well. Yeah. You know, he's been a real star this season for United. But his set-piece delivery is massive. It's just huge. And and if I see one more time uh, Nanny going over to either take a free kick uh, in a wide position or a corner someone needs to shoot him because because his it, it, for all the wonderful qualities Nanny has got and we saw it all encapsulated in the goal where he you know, beat two men and then lashed it in uh, he cannot take a dead absolutely ball. not this is this is I don't understand why he's still allowed it doesn't doesn't seem right at all that he's still allowed to do that it doesn't. And another thing not that's not right, something was wrong with the groundsman around the penalty spot for Wayne Rooney's penalty. How much trouble is that groundsman in? 
Oh, a, a lot. I mean, in in the end, it didn't matter. But if it was a crucial goal and, and cost United points, that, that could be uh, some serious business. I mean, Rooney's foot. I mean, I don't blame Rooney at all. He planted his left foot and he just went directly underneath him. Of course, recalled a wonderful time in 2008 as a Lisnicky, didn't it? So uh, it, I think Rooney's was even worse. I haven't seen a ball go that high and wide, perhaps, since Chris Waddle and his <laughs> penalty circa 1990, which is probably somewhere still in all. So at about, I don't know, about maybe 10 minutes before the end of the game, I put on Twitter, so how's everyone doing then? I got at Jemku saying, my heart cannot take this amount of stress. By the way, we're 3-1 up at this point. At Roy Keane's gum, dry mouth, headache, sweating through my blouse. Devils of Mank, I'm having a heart attack. At Awate91, I'm in bits. Uh, there's just a tweet from me, which is just just the word, because it was just too much by the end. It was so tense. When, when he missed that, I could not... Believe it when he missed that shot. Yeah, we're indebted to Torres and his horrible, embarrassing miss, which is, you know, is, is not the worst miss of all time, but it's close to it. I mean, it was pretty, pretty horrendous miss, and he, he got himself his body shape all around. I mean, he, he very neatly swerved the keeper, but then he was going so far left that he, he couldn't right his balance again. But uh, it's, it's one of the worst misses yeah, that you'll see. And, and if he'd scored that, we would have been talking about eight minutes plus five minutes injury time of Chelsea and the momentum being in their favour, and it could have been a very different result all Together. Grant Wall, an American football journalist, suggested yep. that perhaps the Fox Network executive had asked Manchester United and Chelsea, could you try not to play any defence today? Trying to build an American audience. It was, yeah, yeah. Fergie described it as a basketball game. At Jamie Cutteridge says, I can only produ- presume Rooney was being sarcastic with that penalty. Um, it was just a, 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 a meta comment on the nature of John Terry missing a penalty under much more exer- important circumstances. Indeed, yeah. but but three points and what's that? Six wins out of six. Best the best United starts in 1985. Actually, United won all ten in a row and and then managed to finish fourth or something like that. So let's not count our chickens. Just Before yet. we move off the game altogether, that Ashley Cole challenge not a penalty because the ball's out of play. Why not a red card at that point then for violent conduct? Yeah, there's there's no excuse for that if they've seen it. And so so my interpretation of this is that the linesman didn't properly see right. it, uh, and the referee didn't see it at all. Yeah. And they've given a yellow card because the player's rolling around and they think something bad probably happened and they've copped out. Because if they've seen it and interpreted that as a yellow card, they shouldn't be refereeing any more games for some time. And referees should be punished and they should get a ban as well. In fact, in fact here you go. Here's my proposal. When they miss stuff like that, there should be a three-match ban. The referees should also earn, earn three match ban so and they're they're on pay as you play referees right. they 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 yeah the, the top referees can uh they'll get a certain amount of games a year and they can get a decent salary out of it but uh they 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 should lose their match fee it's a horrendous decision there's there's no question you can't even question it, it it's it's two red cards it's a scarlet the card. thing is it's fair enough if, if you miss the incident because you're gonna referees are gonna miss things in games like that but but the, the, i did uh, the yellow card decision is is it such a cop-out isn't it that? yeah and the other thing is uh, you know, the speed that that happened, I mean, in the freeze frame, it's about a foot behind the line when the foul comes in. So yeah. the ball's out of play. How the referee can decide the ball was out of play, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, because it's all happening at pretty high speed. It was, it was an atrocious challenge. And, and you, you suggested that this was Ashley Cole's frustration at having been kind of roasted by United so many times now, twice in a row. Yeah, I mean, I, after the game, and I think this is some immaturity here, Andre Villas-Burs blamed it on the frustration of poor refereeing decisions. No, I think 
thing is the fact that United keep beating Chelsea. Beat them three times last season. Now the fourth time in a row that United have beaten Chelsea. And he's actually Cole just frustrated. He's being aggressive. You could say he's trying to block, but he actually when who tries to block a shot going in front facing with studs showing? I I, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. He's being aggressive. He's overly aggressive. He's angry. He's frustrated. And he took it out on the striker, and he should have seen red, and he should be getting a three-match ban. But once again, the FA's absolutely ridiculous rules come into play where they say they're protecting referees by not changing the, the decision after the fact. If if Cole hadn't been booked at all, he'd be seeing a three-match ban now. But because he's been booked, they won't upgrade it, which is nonsense because it makes the referee look nonsense because even the referee, if he sees that on a video, would say, actually, I got that wrong. I'd like to upgrade this to a red card. Decision review cr- system in cricket. Yeah, Umpires in cricket love that system. They're all in favour of it because even though it shows their mistakes, what actually happens means that eventually the right decision is made and that's what all referees should want, right? Or is it yeah. about their ego, which is what the, re- the FA is saying, we don't want to undermine them, or is it about the right decision being made? I think, on balance, referees would all say we'd like the right decision to be yeah, made. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but yeah, that's, that's clearly a crazy rule, isn't it? And, and one other thing, Chelsea should have had nine men because if 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 Nani wasn't in a goal-scoring position, I don't know what is. Uh, after that. Margin, <laughs> marginal a- foul, absolutely marginal foul. We did catch him, but you know, clearly not as crude as Cole's challenge. But but it's goal-scoring position, and he was fouled. Letter of the law says that's the. Red what do you card. make of Chelsea and Villas Boas up to this point? Because I mean, in a way, that game reflected really well on them because Torres is most of the time not going to miss that. Most of their opposition is not going to be United. It's interesting, actually. Um, during the Arsenal game I've got this running debate with my my friend Joe about David De Gea because I think you know he very quickly when he started making a couple of errors early uh, in his career he was saying that you know he's going to really struggle to come back from this which I I really think is very misguided because I still think that De Gea is going to be United's goalkeeper for years to come but but he was saying the thing is the Arsenal game he made mistakes again and we won't put eight past Chelsea now we didn't put eight past them but we did basically beat them by just trying to score more goals than them and everyone that Chelsea plays is not going to be us they're not going to be able to do the kind of damage we're able to do I, I thought the game reflected quite well on Chelsea's chances for the rest of the season yeah I think I think they'll do alright do right. I think I think the thing with Chelsea is they're in a transitional phase not just in terms of the older players being phased out and some younger players being facing because they have got an old squad but also in terms of the style of play and I think Villas Boas uh, Porto's side did play a 4-3-3 but they were quite attacking side scored a hell of a load of goals and you know but uh, you have to mitigate that statement by the fact that they're miles better than anything else in Portugal last yeah. season. But he's trying to get them to open up and play a more attacking style. Juan Mata will do something for that. I think I said last week, I think he's a, a really top-class player. I think they've got a good buy there. I think uh, if they play Torres and, and two you know quicker guys outside him, that's going to suit Torres. I think they're trying to move the ball more quickly. And, and, and so that's the transition from the sort of more mechanical style of play they had under Mourinho, uh, and he's been gone for quite some time now, to the more fluid style that I think that Phyllis Bias would like them to play so I think in the end they'll do fine Chelsea and they're, they're, I believe they'll certainly be in the top three uh, they, you know they may well challenge for the title and you know, it really depends on what happens with the minutiae of detail in games against each other and injuries and, and European runs and yeah all of no that. absolutely but I think also like it's very worth saying that Torres's performance was overshadowed by that hilarious miss I mean only hilarious if you're United fan it, it was actually quite painful to watch in some ways although not, not from our perspective but you know you see a, a man make a mistake like that on such a big stage and you have to be 
pretty locked into tribalism not to have some feeling for your fellow human being under that circumstance but he had a really good game actually in general and I think I think he's he's going to come good sooner rather than later I suspect yeah I, th- I think uh, I think he, he got a couple of assists against Leverkusen in the Champions League the, the week before playing United he had a good game against United he scored fine finish for the goal in lo- unlucky in some ways with the horrendous miss because he's just got himself off balance and I think you're right I think I've said before he's he's too good to not start scoring again I'm sure he will and I think I think a lot of uh, a lot of the writers will have to start eating humble by that one I, I'm sure he's going to do fine and he'll be a real asset for yeah, Chelsea no, absolutely so oh, hold on we're just about to move on to the Leeds game but before we do leading out the team lifting trophies celebrating with Waza Scolzi Bex even scoring a few goals they had to do some digging through the archives for those and finally a handshake from the boss with the words thank you son up on the screen right the Leeds game my favourite game ever really that game uh, it was just a complete joy we we uh, last season there was the famous game against Arsenal of seven defenders uh, this was the game by the end of the game we had one defender on the pitch uh, there was a hilarious thing put up by at Mank Tactics who linked to a, a, a chalkboard thing of of what the formation would have looked like if everyone had played in their actual position and so that's two full backs one central midfielder two wingers and four centre forwards yeah it was it was quite bizarre wasn't it i mean it looked bizarre when the the, the team sheet came out with you know, a couple of you know a couple of center forwards on the wings and see michael carrick alongside fries at center back and yeah very very mixed very mixed bag but 45 minutes of great football real joy to watch that first 45 minutes not so much the second half but but uh yeah real pleasure and and, and loads of positives so yeah a bunch of players who haven't played much recently got some game time couple of nice goals by michael owell yeah one fine finish and one scuff shot as mm-hmm. he put it superb performance by Ezekiel Fryers who anyone who watches reserves will have seen a real growth in his confidence actually he's always been super quick and he's played in a whole bunch of different positions and uh, he was unlucky at the end of last season to get an injury and he, he couldn't take part in either either the semi or the or the final of the FA uh, Youth Cup but, but a lot of promise there and I thought he had a really really fine game looked super composed great passing uh, really really quick and, and just a, a, another option I mean clearly he's not going to touch the first team this season um, but he'll benefit from loan alone next season and may well come into the first team reckoning in sort of 18 months to yeah and and it's lovely to see youngsters actual youngsters being blooded in the Carling Cup again because after you know it being a place where our reserves play admittedly some of our youngsters are in the reserves now but you know what I mean it's a different thing it's not a time for squad players to get games although it serves that useful function but really good to see Paul Pogba coming on at half time as well yeah, he didn't have quite as good a game. I mean, I actually thought he didn't really play his natural game. He he maybe because of the personnel and the, the fact that there were no defenders on the pitch by the time he came on, felt he needed to cover a little bit. I mean, he's he's a player who loves to get forward, who has got a great range of passing, although Ferguson did point out that he needs to improve that. Um, who's got lovely feet, can beat a man, great long-range shot on him, and we didn't really see any of that. He played a much more conservative game than, than perhaps he does naturally, but good for him to get first 45 minutes 
minutes in the first team. We're and Lionel Cole more. coming on towards the end of the game. Yeah, interesting one with Lionel Cole because he has developed a lot and he's uh, he's a bit old-fashioned in a way. He's a kind of hug-the-touchline, chalk-on-the-heels kind of winger and uh, he you know, bags and bags of pace and uh, he's got a nice shift, nice balance actually. Uh, he's, he's one of the players who can shift it from left to right and go past the man quite, quite easily but he, he's not of great stature and, uh, and he's one of the guys I think he probably needs to get in the gym and put some weight on. And, of the three, I'd say he's the least likely to make it at United. He, he feels like there's a there's a lot of players of his nature around, and not sure he's really got anything special. But we'll we'll see with him. He's still very young, and he, he could well take another step on as he has done in the last six months. Or and so. then some of the old guards playing pretty well. Just an absolute joy for me to see Dimitar Berbatov in the side. I mean, Leeds obviously nowhere near our standard, but he was just in sumptuous form for a lot of that game a few mistakes gave the ball away a couple of times but some of his passing the way he pulls the strings and keeps the ball and you know once we've got a lead the way he kind of helps to just completely kill the game off Barcelona-esque really just keeping the ball for defensive reasons mm. well, i tell you what was Barcelona-esque him ended up playing at centre-back I mean Barcelona have done that their absolute refusal of Barcelona's management to buy a defender means that frequently they play midfielders at the back I mean they, they've played um, uh, Mascherano and Busquets uh, as two central defenders pretty frequently so there you go we've got another option if one of our 87 central defenders are all injured then uh, then Dimitar can play there Dimitar Berbatov couldn't get a game so played centre half yeah I love him it was brilliant seeing him in there pointing to standing in places heading the ball away he did clear a ball off the line earlier in the game as well yeah I, yeah, I just it was just great to see him get some games again and it is a crime against football that he's seen on our bench no I don't mean that he should be in our first team because clearly he just doesn't suit the way we're playing at the moment um, but he should be in someone's first team somewhere well I tell you what he'd do a better job at the back than any of the uh, Arsenal back four at the moment <laughs> yeah that's a no I can't no please I don't want to see him go to Arsenal that would be terrible Michael Owen took his second goal spectacularly yep. well and therefore should be back in the England side according to lots of people Henry Winter and others yeah yeah. Uh, I mean that's not going to happen with Capello there I mean look the guy can score but I, I would say I would say this he's uh, if you look at the pure stats you'd say oh uh, 11 starts 12 goals or 12 starts 11 goals uh, the the standard of opposition he has scored against uh, almost all lower half of the premier league and in fact pretty pretty frequently relegation fodder uh, plus carling cup games and fa cup games against uh, i think scunthorpe southampton leeds he's scored a whole bunch against lower level opposition and the, yeah the man can score he doesn't find the same space when he's playing top teams and his pace doesn't take him past players anymore so that's a bit of a, and and if you're going to play him slightly deeper and he says he's added more to his game but he's not added more so much more that he's suddenly going to be better than Wayne Rooney playing in the hole right so this is the problem he's he's a man who can get a goal but but we have you know Hernandez there who can get us a goal and and Danny Welbeck who's progressing loads and Wayne Rooney is in fabulous form and and Dimitar Berbatov who can do what Dimitar Berbatov does so you know fifth choice is about where Owen is at the moment he's not going to get an awful lot of games he did say he wants to play 30 games I'd be really surprised if he gets that many even if he stays fit I, I suspect Owen will stay around for another year and then uh, and then you know we're talking about a player would be about 32 there uh, does he really want to see out the, the rest of his career really not playing he might say okay I've experienced that being at United you know, being the best club in the world now now I'll go and play some games for the, the end of my career yeah and I kind of you know it's interesting that decision making process because I think 
think we both thought he would go in the summer. Um, obviously, very early in the summer he signed that contract extension um, or maybe even towards the very end of last season I can't remember which way around it went but you know I think I, I definitely thought he would be off because I mean he says he famously said he's been in a bad team playing every week and he didn't like that he'd rather be in a good team not getting too many games but but if, if not getting yeah. too many games turns into not having started a league game for a year that's 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 a bit different, isn't it? Well, he only started one Premier League game yeah. last year. So Fergie said he was going to get use out of all seven of his strikers. Uh, we didn't realise that would be all in the same team. Four four centre forwards on the pitch. Kiko and Duff both used as wingers, which obviously means they're not going to really show the best of themselves because neither of them naturals. No, I, I, they, neither of them are, though. Though Duff's got plenty of pace and I, I think it probably comes a little more yeah. easy to him. Kiko had a real problem with it and uh, it's really unfair on him. And the guy, he, he's gone back. Yeah, has he? And and uh, there was a time when everyone believed that he would he he of him and Danny Welbeck, similar age, you know, were hanging around the sort of first team at a similar time. We all, I think a lot of us felt that uh, Machado was the man who who would make it more than Welbeck, and Welbeck's progressed hugely, and Machado hasn't. And I have to say, of the two loan spells they had, uh, Welbeck at Sunderland, he was using a variety of different positions, but but they clearly helped him grow. Uh, Machado almost insisted on going back to Italy against the. Of the club uh, who wanted him to stay in England, and and it's it's you know it's gone against him. He needs a loan. He needs a loan. A trusted club needs someone to really guide him through because he's got plenty of talent. And the boy can finish. Uh, anyone who's seen him in the reserve, I mean, he scored last week against Rochdale, didn't he? I mean, anyone who's seen him in the reserves knows it's, he can finish. He's got he he's a proper old-fashioned centre forward. He will be an asset to United if he can progress. If not, he'll just go back to Italy, and and probably what will happen is his natural talent will come out and in three or four years time after spending some time at a smaller Italian club he'll move to Juve on Milan or Inter and he'll be a £40 million player and we'll be going ugh he's another one like Rossi and PK that we missed out on yeah although potentially you know his game is just maybe better suited for Italy which is always a possibility isn't it because it's such a different game there yeah he hasn't got any problem with the physical stuff though he's, he's, he's a man mountain he's strong yeah he's got a decent amount of pace and he can he can finish I was talking and... about pace rather than strength you know I don't think he. I mean he isn't that quick is he no, no, no. He's he's average. Quick. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it, it, we'll see because these things can change very quickly. Of course, can't they? Somebody gets a run of games, has a good loan spell. You know, fingers crossed, he's still got a chance. But but I, I kind of agree with what you expect. Except I'm mm. I don't know whether he'll ever become that forty million pound player. It's it's so so difficult to tell at this stage, isn't it? Really is. But but did we, did we think Rossi would? I mean, I remember you telling me about Rossi when he was playing in the reserves though, and saying he just looked absolutely fantastic. He re- he absolutely looked fantastic, and then. He's gone to Villarreal, and and Barcelona genuinely thought about buying him. In the end, yeah, you know, they've bought David Villa last year and Alexis Sanchez th- this season. But in both occasions, he was their second choice, and they would have spent in excess of 35 million euros on him. Yeah, it. yeah, absolutely. Old Joe Red. Joe Red. Yeah. So yeah, the the Leeds game was a lot of fun, and one of the notable features of that game was extraordinarily vocal support from the away section. At one point, uh, Alan Smith said, "Oh, you got to credit these fans. They haven't stopped singing even though their club's losing three-one." And I was like, "Are you really paying that little attention? Yeah, yeah. You mean you've got to credit the team's fans whose team is winning three-one who haven't shut up for that? You know, they they the whole songbook was out. Kino's magic." 
He wears a magic hat. Yeah, lots of Cantona. Absolutely. Yeah. When when uh, Darnell Cole, uh, Larnell Cole came on, you know, Andy Andy Cole was like, you know, no relation, but still. Yeah, but of course, all that enthusiastic support comes with a, a an unpleasant side as well. There were there were chants. You said you didn't catch them, but I definitely did, and they've been well reported. Uh, chants of Istanbul, Istanbul. Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, I didn't. I just I didn't hear it at the time and caught Twitter off afterwards and uh, yeah clearly I'm, I'm not denying that it, it didn't happen uh, in any way shape or form I, yes I have to say right I, I think that it won't surprise anyone to know that I think chants like that are completely despicable honestly if it was up to me most of our chants would be much softer than they are you know I, I don't like I, this is I know this is, will be considered ridiculous by most United fans but I don't like the fact that we sing if you are a City fan surrender or you'll die I don't even really like the fact that we sing about what teams we hate and you know all, all those kinds of things it's just not who I am as a person but but having said all that actually those chants did not last a very long time those Istanbul chants they were definitely a minority I don't mean necessarily of the people present but a minority of the content of what United fans were doing but it's completely inexcusable that kind of chanting yeah, yeah. and uh, sorry just one last point before I stop banging on my eye horse the thing that it kind of illustrates for me is in a way that when when United fans sing song they sing the murderer's song and without killing anyone we've won it three times uh, at Liverpool fans and there is a, a, a subsection of United fans who think that Munich chanting is disgraceful um, but that that is acceptable because it's somehow relating to something that Liverpool fans did themselves in spite of the fact that that's highly questionable and based on a tiny minority of Liverpool fans uh, almost 30 years ago now so I, I you know I, I, but I think that the fact that there's this Istanbul chant is is taken up by us and and sung wholeheartedly by by a good number of people enough people for it to be very clearly audible it's kind of points in the direction that actually there's not much discrimination going on when people are doing the murderers chant they're not thinking oh there's a moral grey area here what they're saying is we're happy to gain points against our opposition supporters by making use of terrible tragedies that have happened in the past. Yes, well, I mean, there's some United fans engaged in some moral relativism here, and look, the, the reason why this is offensive is not about the action of the particular group and what they did, so, you know, Munich, singing about Munich is disgraceful because it was a, uh, I'm paraphrasing some people here, right? Singing about Munich is disgraceful because it was an accident and those poor people, and it was tragic, and singing about Heisel was okay because, you know, look at those Liverpool fans who murdered people. That's this is not why this is wrong. This is wrong because it's disrespectful, disrespectful to the people who died and their families. And uh, you know the two guys who got stabbed to death in Istanbul uh, just because they went to a football match. Their families are still around and probably deeply upset that other fans use that to mock their rivals. And this is why it's wrong. And you know we can uh, the big debate on Twitter afterwards, of course, and a lot of people said, oh, but they were chanting about Munich, which which they were, which they do every single time, and then all the arms come out and and there's video evidence for it and it happened at Bolson last week yeah, it always happens at Anfield and it happens at countless grounds and Arsenal fans you know hiss when Tottenham are there to mimic the gas chamber and, and loads and loads of teams have songs based on Billy Boys Billy Boys being a song which talks about the blood of Fanny and Bat-
Uh, and I have to say, there's a whole culture of disgraceful chanting which mocks the death of people, human beings, to gain points over our rivals. And it's it's all sick and it's all wrong. And we shouldn't engage in that moral relativism. It's not okay uh, ever. And and this was a problem. I have to say, I got pissed off with this on Twitter because two journalists, uh, Oliver Kay in the Times and Mark Ogden in the Telegraph insisted that Leeds fans did not join in on, in this, and and then I'm just you know the, the the point being is they they misrepresented it, they didn't ignore that bit, and it was some kind of media bias. I'm, you know I don't believe in that that line of thinking at all, but but they reported incorrectly, just factual incorrect. Just just a quick word of defence of Ollie Kay, uh, who watched a video that he was sent a link to of Leeds fans doing it outside the ground, and acknowledged that you know all. He wasn't. He, he, you know, he was thoroughly expecting Munich songs. He hears it every time he goes to Leeds. He, genu- I genuinely believe he didn't hear Munich songs or wasn't paying attention while they were being sung, kind of thing. And he didn't do that thing that uh, Matthew Ogden did of of kind of denying that it had happened when when faced with evidence. You know what I mean? So just a quick word in his defence. And there was some stuff on his web chat um, about it yesterday as well. So I thought that was relatively decent of him. But yeah, I mean, the I I I, I get frustrated by United fans who's who that I get frustrated by the go-to thing of well yeah all right fair enough United fans were singing this and I admit that that's wrong but X Y Z and I'm, not, I'm absolutely not saying that's what you're saying of course Ed um, but it, it, I, I see it sort of fairly often and but it is frustrating when when the media reporting is kind of inaccurate or equally when it's sensationalist United United fans singing about Istanbul is, is obviously is going to get more attention than as you said before we started recording opposition's fans sing about Munich pretty much every week you know every away game it happens more or less um, pretty much yeah. yeah and so so you know it doesn't get reported every week as you said on the other hand it's partly a story when United fans do it because United fans have been so vocal for such a long time and rightly so about opposition fans singing Munich all the time because it because it does happen so often that does um, mm-hmm. so when United fans kind of stoop to that level there's a story in that of kind of, all right, well, you've been banging on about Munich for X number of years. This is me quoting so, that. So there's some natural hypocrisy there. And yeah, and you're, you're totally right. You're totally right. Yeah. I have to say, one one thing that has never happened, and I'm pretty sure I'm correcting this, the Leeds United Club, FC, have never made an effort to stamp this out. Right, yeah. And, and there's been a lot of criticism of Manchester City over the years as well for that reason, hasn't there? Yeah, yeah. I'm well on the record here of uh, saying I am not a fan of David Gill, but uh, he took it on personally to... To, to write twice to the to the supporters associations and also in the program notes and it's happened several times now to try and cut out the Arsene Wenger paedophile song which of course is deeply offensive both to, to Arsene Wenger because he's not a paedophile and his family I'd just like to thank at MUFC Jeff who sent us a very thoughtful email on the subject and he suggested that it's about time that the FA clubs and fanzines took a lead in condemning this behaviour I mean you know I don't think we have any influence in the world of football football but we're, we're not a fanzine but we're sort of a you know we're a fan podcast which is which is a 21st century fanzine really and and we've just spent 10 minutes discussing it and and i think it is a discussion that's happening and you said in an email response to jeff that the offensive behavior is being perpetrated by a smaller number of supporters than ever um i think you might be right in that in some respects but there's there's a flip side to that which is there is there's there's an almost complete lack of respect shown at football grounds and 
we could go off on you could have a, there's a, an incredibly long and complex sociological discussion to be had around this subject because there's a link in society between things that happens at different phases of society and the riots that have just happened in England the, this past summer were very very much about a lack of respect the way footballers are treated by opposition supporters is completely deficient of respect the way footballers treat each other with their massive diving and nonsense and trying to con the referee and the way footballers treat referees and the way referees treat footballers and the way they you know respect is missing from football but that's because it's missing from society yeah yeah i mean you know i don't want to get on david cameron's bandwagon here but but you've you've got a point you've got a big point i mean you know just just on the the football side of things yeah disrespect amongst all parties constantly Uh, i have to say jumping back to the uh the chelsea game andre villas boas uh, and chelsea made a formal complaint to the referees union about uh, the refereeing decisions there and i think i have to say that's pretty disrespectful since uh, as we mentioned they got away with two red cards what genuinely what was he complaining about i watched that game it, i i don't understand why the chelsea manager would be terribly terribly gutted with the referee's performance after that uh, it's the two offsides it's the two offsides right. which which, uh, which i have to say i i, I think they're both open to interpretation i do not think either one is clear cut at the very worst they're marginal very marginal and and the, the you know the pace that ball's coming in at it's, it's human error it's you know if if it's an error and i have to say again i'm not sure that it is but if if, if it's an error is it that bad an error yeah i don't think so if he's going to complain about that he's going to have an awful lot more to complain about this season yeah well i'm sure we'll see that in action talking of seeing things in action we get to see oh god talking about seeing things in action and offensive chanting from opposition supporters i got to play blinking stoke oh, they're the worst supporters in a division you know what i really do not get stoke fans they they have a passionate hatred for united that i just don't get we're not local rivals no one cares about you we don't care about you we do not care about you i know you're they're long established they're one of the oldest clubs professional football and very long established club done very well to get back into the premier league and be on a solid footing although financially they're they're a bit dodgy there but but why they why they hate united so much and the you know the the vile the bile that comes out of them when we play them is just extraordinary yeah, um, I think I relate this every time we play Stoke, but I was on the train on the way back from the Stoke game where we beat them 5-0, and a man in a United shirt got on the train with three kids at Stoke, and the Stoke fans in the carriage with me turned on him and started shouting that he was an effing disgrace for teaching his kids to be United fans when he was from Stoke. A, they didn't know he was from Stoke, and B, pretty sure supporting Manchester United is less of being a disgrace than shouting at a man in front of his children quite yeah not not the nicest bunch i'm sure there are many perfectly decent lovely human beings that support stoke uh, as is the way of these things Uh, but as a collective it's not ideal Uh, their team managed by childhood united fan tony pulis uh, on the other hand you have to say he's done an absolutely remarkable job yeah they don't always play the prettiest football although by no means are they a long ball side Uh, they they work very effectively at set pieces i mean loads of goals are scored from set pieces and they've obviously got a lot of work into it they they do uh, Rory Delap uh, has a massive weapon there not not only does he you know create quite a few assists but the you know, second phase ball puts them in a very powerful position most of the time so yeah uh, but they also play some good football I, mean, I actually watched their game I, I flipped between the Spurs game and the Stoke game versus uh, Dinamo Kiev the other night and they play some good they play some good stuff at times yeah they've 
they've they've really strengthened in the transfer window as well. Although they've signed Peter Crouch. Now Peter Crouch is good at football. There's there's no two ways about that. But I have this long-standing theory, borne out by uh, watching England and to a lesser extent, but but still watching Spurs. Peter Crouch, despite his many talents as a footballer, absolutely ruins teams because as soon as the centre half looks up, the first thing they see in their kind of peripheral subconscious vision is this massive bloke down the other end of the pitch who plays on the same team as them and they think I know if I whack it to him he'll get the ball and do you know what he's one of the worst headers of the ball I'd love to see this test I'd love to see it it never happened but just on a training ground I'd like to see someone anyone let's say Ashley Young because he puts in a decent ball putting a hundred balls into the box and Peter Crouch and Tim Cahill Tim Cahill two foot tall Peter Crouch nine foot seven uh, jump for the ball I reckon Cahill would win it the majority of times well that'd be an interesting test all we need to do is rustle up Ashley Young Peter Crouch and Tim Cahill and not tell them what they're coming for and uh, we can make it a video we, we could do it's that it's the rant challenge guys if you're listening let's make it happen <laughs> I'm not sure what's in this for Peter Crouch really <laughs> there's a chance to be further mocked I mean you know obviously surprisingly good feat for a big man mm. Yeah, I, I'm beginning to wonder that making a point that saying surprisingly good feet for a big man has become cliched is becoming cliched. It was many many years ago. Yeah. No, I don't mean I don't mean that saying surprisingly good feet for a big uh, a big man is becoming cliched. I'm worried about pointing it out as a cliche has become cliched. Yes, very. That's my my it's my meta concern over this situation. I think maybe not cliche, but it's it's definitely hackneyed. It is. It is. It's an easy hack remark. Uh, I'm, I'm not ashamed of easy hack remark. And then we get to play FC Basel. Talking of uh, easy hackneyed remark, I was really frustrated by Mark Lawrenson saying he didn't know much about Kabaye. We don't know much about Kabaye. The old we don't know much about line came out on Match of the Day at the weekend. And it's acceptable not to know about a player, but it's not acceptable not to try and learn about him if you're a pundit. And since before the game, before not before the game, before the show started recording, you and I came to the conclusion that we don't really know very much about FC Basel. Uh, and because I'd complained about Mark Lawrenson... Well, so, you know, I, t- I, tell you, I tell you what I do know. I saw quite a bit of their game against Osselengi. Right, very good. Yeah, what yeah. are they called? Don't know much about <laughs> the team name in you know, Champions League highlights. Fantastic coverage on Sky. So I saw that They're, they are a very nice th- passing side I've uh, seen a few of their players Alexander Fry from centre midfield I think he's a very talented player and Chikiri the left footed right winger I think uh, could well become a huge European star I mean he's, he's a bit on the short side but talk about a man who can put in a ball he's got fantastic delivery from corners and set pieces a great strike on him he's very creative I think he'll cause all sorts of problems and he's, he's a player that has been linked with United in the pay I love that phrase has been linked with so uh, some hack a bit bored needs to fill some uh, red top column inches things ah that's a good player I'll probably link him with United but anyway so a few few pundits have written stuff about him but he's a fine player who will be going first yes yeah, uh, they've got a South Korean in their side that's always good isn't it Park Juho any relation they might have a North Korean as well they have a, they've got a North Korean called Pak they do Pak Kwang Rong they do they do yes and I, I wonder if he was one of the guys who was uh, forced to do some hard labour after North Korea's poor showing at the World Cup managed by Torsten Frink German footballing legend of some description well legend is that a bit strong I don't know yeah he played he played yeah I've, I've heard of him and he's German footballer 
I'm I'm not good on I don't know much about stuff really turns out Swiss champions last couple of years in a row and what's the standard like in the Swiss League I don't know yeah well I mean if you look at their Champions League performance not high no and the national team of course have a reputation for playing terribly dull football over the last few years but you're saying Basel more of a more of a passing attractive side yeah they, they are and I've actually Switzerland gave England a couple of decent games didn't they last last round doesn't count it's like giving it's like giving the the Rantcast eleven a decent game England are just rubber it's like giving England a tough time is like scoring goals in the Dutch league just does I reckon we could get get a team together rank well maybe not right at the moment I'm crippled I don't know I, I'm not really much fit for anything other than going in goal in the 1940s <laughs> that's the only position I could play yeah so uh, predictions well I, I I think given United's fantastic showing at Bolton maybe the away hoodoo has disappeared so I, I think we will score I, I have no problems if Stoke one place some direct stuff uh, you know Johnny Evans is, is a worry with the physical stuff Phil Jones isn't I mean he'd bully anyone so uh, uh, we may well have Rio Ferdinand back anyway I mean he's had this little hamstring problem and looks like Danny Welbeck is fit again and so and Hernandez could well be fit he's touch and go on that one so I, I think United will win so I'm predicting a back four of Fabio Valencia Carrick and Berbatov because why change a winning formula <laughs> not much chance of that happening but you know feel feel free to put your money on it if you really like <laughs> it's a shame that that's not going to be the case no I, once again the what's our back four going to be is the is the real selection dilemma it'll be it'll be interesting to see I, I would imagine he'll play 4-4-2 as he has been all season or 4-4-1-1 yeah, yeah I think I think so I think I mean, De Gea back in goal it seems like Smalling's got the right back spot I'd, I'd like to see Fabio back inside I think he just gives us that extra that extra attacking impetus uh, note on Fabio made the Brazil squad oh good lads good lads so I mean his, his brother made a squad earlier uh, last year and, and now Fabio is I, I think a suspect part of this is to make sure they're tied down to Brazil because they do have uh, Portuguese ancestry and could play for Portugal in not that much longer they could end up playing for England as well yeah I, it, that, this is actually very true because they haven't played for the under 21s yet have they so the FIFA rule on this is is pretty complex so you're allowed to take dual nationality as long as you've taken the dual nationality before you've played an under 21 game right but if you have played an under 21 game you can flip so for example uh, Emmanuel Fringpong has played at every age group for England under 21s but is going to is already dual national and is going to is decided he wants to play for Ghana so he's playing for Ghana now a lot of people talked about uh, Mikel Arteta Mikel Arteta has already played an under 21 game and then talked about taking up British citizenship so therefore could he play for the full side FIFA preclude that it's a very odd quirk of their rules but mean, means he couldn't do it so it just depends on what age group games those two have, have played but in, anyway it's probably moot now because if Fabio plays I think they're playing in Chile and Mexico or something like that if he, if he plays in either of those games he's, he's, uh, he will be tied to Brazil uh, if either is competitive of course just to add an extra layer of complexity to this one anyway well, I think what we're trying to say is well done mate very well earned Fabio for some of his excellent performances over the last six months absolutely so Manchester United uh, 4 Stoke 1 and Manchester United 2 Basel 0 those are my predictions yeah I, you know what I keep predicting clean sheets and it's not happening so so I'm going to still predict a clean sheet I think I think United will win 3-0 at Stoke and uh, I'm, I'm going to go for a 1-0 win at Basel because I, I think Ferguson will rotate and we'll see a few of the fringe players there so one final note 
<clears throat> through it all, the many, many highs and the occasional lows, I felt privileged to be wearing the shirt. You can't have a bad day playing for United. That's what I've always told the young players coming through. You may feel like you're having a time, but when you look down and see that United badge on your chest, it's always a great day. And I wore that shirt for the best part of 20 years. And you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. No. God. Suddenly I thought, no coward, no cowards in my head. <laughs> All right, I'll see you next week, Ed. See you then. One cold and bitter Thursday in Munich, Germany. Eight great football stalwarts conceded victory. Eight men will never play again who met destruction there. The flowers of English football, the flowers of Manchester. Matt Busby's boys were flying, returning from Belgrade. This great united family, all masters of their trade. The pilot of the aircraft, the skipper, Captain Thane. Three times they tried to take off and twice turn back again. The third time down the runway, disaster followed close. There was slush upon that runway and the aircraft never rose. It ploughed into the marshy ground, it broke, it overturned. And eight of the team were killed when the blazing wreckage burned. Roger Byrne and Tommy Taylor, who were capped for England's side. And Ireland's Billy Whelan and England's Jeff Ben died. Mark Jones and Eddie Coleman and David Pegg also. They all lost their lives as it ploughed on through the snow. Big Duncan, he went to with an injury to his brain. And Ireland's brave Jack Blanchflower will never play again. The great Matt Busby lay there, the father of this team. Three long months passed by before he saw his team again. The trainer, coach and secretary and a member of the crew. Also eight sporting journalists who with United flew. And one of them was Big Swifty, who we will not forget. The finest English keeper that ever graced a net. Oh, England's finest football team, its record truly great. Its proud successors mocked by a cruel turn of fate. Eight men will never play again who met destruction there. The flowers of English football, the flowers of Manchester.